Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. All characters during the show, such as Donatella Iglesias, Jimmy Coconuts, and Tyler Jerry are copywritten and are satirical. Any similarity to any persons living or dead is completely coincidental. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. Guys, I'm Sean. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, everybody. No. This is Petri Dish. I'm Sean. I'm Nathan. And today, we're going to talk about cats. Cats is actually a special request from me. Yeah. Because I have a lot of strong feelings about cats that I wanted to examine. They're in the news right now. Yeah, They're, the musical. Yeah, there's a great movie out about it that's been getting a lot of good reviews. There's been Australian fires and cats are going around just killing everything in them. Mm-hmm. And I know there's some interesting research about cats. And I went to Sean. And I was like, Sean, tell me about tell me about cats and let's examine. I think my unfair hatred of cats. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, you came to me, and my main thing with cats is that I'm allergic to them. But besides yeah. that, you know, I, I kind of like them. They Sean's. Seem- Allergic, and I'm emotionally allergic. I just can't stand the creatures, right? <laughs> you kind of hate them. I'm neutral. And then we have, for example, Stacy over here. And right. Stacy loves cats. Stacy loves cats. I do love cats. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those classic, like, you say cats, I say <laughs> pest on society, you know, like, vermin. <laughs> yeah, and uh, hey, there, there was that Netflix documentary that was like, don't fuck with cats or something like that, right? Right. Very funny, because I was like really on the wrong side of that documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, you were like, don't, don't fuck cats? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, um, very confusing. So we're going to go through the history of cats, because it's actually a pretty interesting way that we kind of didn't actually domesticate them. We kind of cohabitate with cats, and yeah. kind of that's different from other animals we usually chill with. Then we're going to talk about just kind of cool, like, why the fuck can cats fall so far? <laughs> right? Just kind of like weird biological tidbits. And then we're going to go into the stuff I'm all about. The diseases they carry, how they infect cat people and make them more <laughs> like cat people, the ecological damage that they just... The havoc that they, that they cause all on right. all sorts of environments. Uh, all right. Yeah, so if you're a cat person, just know that this episode is more neutral than Nathan is making it sound. Right. Stacey loves cats. Uh, she's actually cats. got a mic. Stacey knew I was going to hate cats so much, she set up a mic to defend cats. Yeah, because sometimes your opinions are bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Look at here. I made you beautiful steak and basmati rice yesterday. Oh, man. Stacy coming in hot. All right. <laughs> So let's get in and dive straight into the history of cats. Okay, guys, so the history of cats, their domestication. Andrew Lloyd Webber was a huge fan of T.S. Eliot, and he realized that he could adapt a very esoteric Eliot piece about the world of cats. Uh, This was about 60 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever it was. (laughs) Yeah, and hence cats were domesticated. Yeah, yeah, so the history of cats' non-domestication is that Felis Sylvester. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, so Felis Catus is uh, domesticated house cats. But then they were domesticated from wild cats, or Felis sylvestris. Felis catus was someone not earning their pay. I know, they weren't trying very hard, right? <laughs> like, what is it? It's a cat! <laughs> like, catus, sounds good. Uh, and this happened at least 9,000 years ago. Okay, so do a little math for me. That's um, 7,000 BCE. Oh, shit, that's what you were doing the math for? <laughs> Boy, you could do better than that, buddy. To li- give a little context, this is around the time their first Neolithic set. Well, not the first, but we had Neolithic settlements around all sorts of river valleys. Maybe perhaps the Oxus in Afghanistan. Who knew? And there's a lot of rats, right? Yes. A lot of shit living there because humans did not fuck with settlements before that. 
Right. In contrast to dogs, for example, which were domesticated much longer ago, probably because they could help us in kind of hunter-gatherer. Probably because they're thousands of years more useful than cats. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so what I will say is that unlike dogs in which there was a domestication process to make them more useful to us. Man's best friend. (laughs) Cats had a much more light domestication because we weren't actually trying to breed traits in. We were just using their natural instinct to want to hunt rodents. Right. And so like you were saying, they would have been drawn to the grain houses where the rodents were drawn to because they were like, hey, there's all this food just sitting around. That's awesome. And the cats would have slowly and reluctantly started creeping into human settlements. Because cats are normally solitary creatures. They have territories set up, and they do not like being crowded with humans and stuff. It's like how I have this kind of incelly MAGA neighbor, and I don't really <laughs> like him that much, but he shoes away dangerous elements. So I like to keep him around. <laughs> <laughs> what, kind, what kind of dangerous elements are not attracted to incels? What are you uh, talking about? <laughs> I don't want to go into it. It's a little racial. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> All right. So wildcats existed throughout Eurasia. Okay. Okay. Um, What is Eurasia again? It's Europe and Asia put together. Okay. That that gigantic landmass. Okay, fair enough. Including North Africa. Right, okay. And to a certain extent, spanning a little bit south into, you know... Like Nubia. Yeah. Yeah, the Nile. Right. And that's kind of important, right? Because Egypt is one of the important sources of the modern domesticated cat. Right. It seems like at least twice... There was this domestication process once in Anatolia, mm. which is Turkey, Turkey yeah. yeah, and in Egypt. So there are these kinds of two spots where we had this domestication go on. Apparently Egyptian ones were just better. Well, so at first it seemed like the Anatolian ones were the ones that spread into the Balkans and then a little bit in the Mediterranean region. And this is all from tracing the mitochondrial DNA from like ancient mummified cats. Why is the mitochondria such a good place to find like lineages and dna shit yeah so one of the reasons is that the mitochondria you only have the contribution from the the mom really oh interesting and so so mitochondria are jewish yeah yes <laughs> they're matrilineal yeah, yeah, yes 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 <laughs> it's a matriarchal <laughs> matriarchal uh, organelle in, in comparison to the midichlorians <laughs> which should, are patriarchal society right. we should probably save a conversation on mitochondria because you could probably do a whole episode of mitochondria alone right yes so through just, mitochondrial yes, dna yes. we've figured out that anatolian cats spread a pretty good range but yeah then yes more of the pussycats right so essentially egyptian cats appeared to have some kind of attractive trait because even in anatolia you started seeing the egyptian cat mitochondrial legacy well that makes sense i mean during the middle kingdom there's expansionism into palestine probably bringing their pussy cats with them right well you know i think generally speaking pretty much anywhere people were going they seemed to bring cats with them especially if they were traveling by boat at all right well yeah and the mediterranean was just like a hotbed of rat galley action right exactly and so if we jump way later right to like roman times okay context that's like a thousand years later right yeah so 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 the egyptian side the anatolian side we did a lot of stuff in like the balkans and the mediterranean zone right right? but then the romans were what brought them past the alps sure the romans were the ones who like conquered some gauls uh, Caesar very famously brought the first cats to Britain, <laughs> which St. Patrick later killed. Right, and like we were both saying about these this boat system, pretty much anywhere that people were doing trading, especially by boat, you started seeing cats kind of transmitted. And so by like a 100 AD, in some Roman ports, you started seeing mitochondrial legacies from wildcats in India. Oh, right? very interesting. So, so you can actually trace things like long-distance right. trade by what kinds of cats were banging each other. Some context for you guys who don't know, Romans were in fact trading with India through ports in Ethiopia and South Arabia, which those kind of philosophical legacies end up inflecting Islam. Wait, really? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like Places like Mecca were these amazing kind of melting pots of Zoroastrianism, of Greco-Roman traditions, of local Arabian traditions, and Islam pretty clearly emerges out of that. I mean, that's what Mm. Muhammad does in the Kaaba when he smashes all the idols. The reason all those idols are there is because there is a lot of different types of idolatry. A lot lot of mixing of cultures. That's why Islam is really part of the Judeo-Christian legacy in a way that we forget because of turbans. Yeah. And like other forms of not subtle racism. I buy it. Yeah. Um, Anyway, but also part of cats. Cat's history. So the interesting question about all of this is like, how domesticated is the cat really? Because we see cats breeding with wild cats 
I mean, All over even, the place. Even to this day, but definitely throughout the entire history. And realistically, cats morphologically, the way that their bodies are shaped, they are not that distinguishable from wild cats. And this is different from dogs, with, right. with some interesting exceptions, because I've heard of some like dog wolves yeah. up in Canada. But by and large, dogs have been specifically bred for long enough that like... A chow chow ain't fucking a wolf anytime soon, right? And at least they look very different. Their function has led us to change their form through selective breeding. Right. Cats don't seem to have had as much of this selective breeding process. Right. We've done 8,000 things with dogs. Cats are for hunting vermin and for like Nefertiti's court. Right. <laughs> and that's been true for like 8,000 years or 7,000 years, 9,000 years, whatever. So, like, they haven't changed a lot. We don't use them to smell truffles. Right. So, yeah, exactly. They, they don't hunt truffles for us. So, one of the interesting <laughs> yeah. sort of difficulties in this question, actually, is that if we were just to take a wild cat now and a domesticated cat now and compare their genomes, they'd look fairly similar. Right. But part of that is because throughout all of this history, domesticated cats kept banging wild cats. Which, again, brings up the question of, like, if they're not genetically very different, are they even domesticated? Right. But it also means that... Domesticated cats have changed wildcats this whole time. Interesting. So we've slowly domesticated wildcats. In a certain sense, <laughs> right? So it's it's a little bit hard to trace the history to see exactly how they've changed from this ancestral wildcat. And it doesn't have to be like this, right? In China, they had a different variant of domesticated cats. Them fuckers are dead now. They got overtaken <laughs> by the Anatolian Egyptian line. Yes. In China, what they domesticated was a leopard cat, ah. which is not a felis anything. It's, what? it's a different genus of cat. What? Yeah. Is it like a badger or something? No, no. no like, it's still within... Oh, it's still like a cat. Yeah. But it's not like a cat cat. Right. It's not in the genus right. felis. It's in a different genus. I think more closely related to panthers. Right. It's not a cat. It's cat cat kitty cat jubilee. <laughs> Let's go to heaven. Jesus. Right? <laughs> that's one of the songs, right? I hope... I haven't seen Cats. I hope that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you aren't allowed to talk anymore for this pod. I hope that's the end of that. So the leopard cat was domesticated in China like 5,000 years ago, completely independent of what was going on in Egypt and Anatolia. But it didn't seem to stick because nowadays all of the domesticated cats in Asia are all from the Egyptian Anatolian stock. Interesting. Right? Okay. There are still leopard cats in China. They're just not domesticated. They're the wild ones. So I guess that fad died out or something. Did I tell you I went to a super authentic Vietnamese restaurant in like a dank-ass ghetto in South Korea? And the first page was all dog, second page was all turtle, and the third page was all cat. Oh, yeah? And you had to get like page 18 before you got cow, <laughs> right? And it was like a great restaurant. Uh, so I'm telling you guys, these SoCal Vietnamese restaurants that don't have cat, not authentic. Yeah, and also, it just goes to show, in order of how good they are, dogs first. Right. Then turtle. Sean, you have to be pro-cat. <laughs> yeah, I'm, sorry. I'm way too anti-cat. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was too far. All right. <laughs> yeah. Cats are delicious. <laughs> but this leopard cat that they were doing in China, nowadays, they hybridize it with domesticated cats to make what's called the Bengal cat. Cool. And so uh, people will buy Bengal cats and everything. It's like a relatively common cat. It's a very popular cat species. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so there's a legacy of, of the China cat. They're very wild. Like, they'll wreak havoc. And climb everything and kind of destroy the printer and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So the ways that I do think that cats have changed over the years is that they must have naturally selected. So in this case, I don't think it was humans selecting them. Right. But they must have naturally selected to become more permissive of seeing other cats around and seeing people around. It's basically symbiosis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But in that process, cats that wouldn't flip out the second they saw another cat in their territory right. would be more successful in a human They get settlement. more mice. Right, because it's higher density. So I do think that that is a change that has happened over time compared to wild cats. Right. They've, their society slowly developed into something like a social democracy, whereas previously it was kind of a Hobbesian state. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. And you think there's a little Bernie pussy Sanders running around being like, being like, we have to. So long as it's a lady, because actually cat societies are more uh, kind of matriarchal. That makes sense. That's like almost a stereotype, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Damn Judy Dench. Yeah. <laughs> she uh, was in that movie. She was in charge, right? That's what I'm saying. But yeah, so basically now we have all these different kinds of cats. And that right? has happened only within like the last 150 years. Right, the, the cat fancy period. 
which I can't believe is the actual name for it. But yeah, it's this intense, purposeful breeding for different appearance traits. Right. And that's a very short history. 85% of cat breeds, almost all of them are from the past 75 years. But 150 years covers 85%, a vast majority of the cat breeds that are around. As with many terrible, useless things, it emerges first with the petite bourgeoisie. (laughs) Right? You need a petite bourgeoisie with a disposable income and leisure time structured by capitalist society to make some useless, shitty cats. Right. Right. You must have a lot of time on your hands to want to make more of an animal that actively hates you. Yeah. But yeah. (laughs) The self-loathing and codependency that is inherent in modern capitalism. So that brings us up to the modern day where we have these semi-domesticated animals living in many of our households. Yeah. And I think... as I'd say, feral beasts. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think let's take a break. And then when we come back, we can talk about some of their biology. Hello, listeners. Do you look around and see all those rich Uber and Lyft drivers and think, man, I'd love to get in on that, but I'm too poor to own a car? Well, today's your lucky day, you pleb bastard, because ShareCar is now available across the continental United States. ShareCar is a service that provides you a car with unlimited mileage and gas. All you need to do is the driving. ShareCar links to your Uber and Lyft apps and automatically extracts its fee for the car, so you don't need to worry your sweet little head about it. Does all this sound like sharecropping, where the company store would rent tools to poor farmers for exorbitant prices and keep them from being able to move up in the world? Well, why don't you shut the hell up, nerd? Once you've paid off the car for the day, all that sweet extra gig economy cash is yours for the taking. So really, the only thing keeping you from millionaire status is a creeping sense of the commodification of your soul. And laziness! Shake it off, peasant, and head on over to the App Store. Use promo code PetriDish in the app for one free day of driving on us. Download CarShare today. Ich benign indentured servitude. Okay, guys, uh, we're back, and we're going to talk about a subject that even I think is pretty interesting. Cats have a pretty funky, fucking cool supernatural powers. Let's talk about some cat biology. Yeah, so one of the reasons why cat biology is so mysterious to this day is cats are fucking way harder to study than dogs. There's also so many magical properties that cats have throughout history. It's hard to separate, you know, metaphysics from physics with cats. Sure, but even now, like, <laughs> I, like I, I agree with you. The you know the, they do weird shit throughout history. They're like sitting underneath chairs and throwing just rooms turning and into stuff. beautiful women. Yeah, very strange. Yeah, very strange cats very are. Strange. But uh, they're just douchier than dogs, right? Yeah, that's basically what it boils down to. Cats can be trained, but how well the training goes and how long it takes is very individualized. It's hard for a proper study with enough subjects. Right, especially because it depends so much on the bond between the cat and the trainer, and it takes so long, a lot of scientists just do not have the time and money to sit around trying to make cats do what they want them to Whereas so that you, they can study them. You spend two days with a dog and you have a dried up buffalo penis, you can get <laughs> it to lie down in an MRI, you can scan it, a cat's gonna fucking destroy your MRI. Right, so that that is the thing, is that we have these functional MRI scans of dog brains when they're smelling different things, when they're like thinking about their human, you know, like they they can hear their human's voice and then the dog's brain changes, you know, what areas are being lit up. Cats, as soon as you turn on an MRI machine, most of them flip the fuck out if you even got them inside the MRI machine in the first place. So it's just, it's very hard to do these studies. I think flipping the fuck out gets us into my first question about cat and cat biology, which is why are they so ridiculous and naughty all the time? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I will say there are a lot of cat GIFs and videos and stuff like that, right? Of cats doing uh, super naughty or like borderline bitchy shit, right? Piss in one place and then all of a sudden pissing somewhere else. Right, or like just like full on ambushing unsuspecting kids, right? Like a kid will walk around a corner, a cat will jump off like a desk and like eat the kid. That's pretty funny though. I mean, it's hilarious <laughs> for me, but yeah, it's like, right, why are they the being kid. such an asshole? Yeah. Um, clawing up furniture, knocking glasses off counters, which right. is also very funny. But this is not them, well, probably. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably not them just fucking with you. This is just like, they are kind of half domesticated. That's just how they are. Right, so I think it's usually, some of these behaviors are best explained as a manifestation of their natural instincts. We talked about this a little bit in our sex part two episode in the Evo Psych part. We talked about snakes and how a fear of snake-shaped objects is actually innate in humans and primates. And it's not a learned thing. We just instinctively do not like those shapes and will like 
have a fear response to them. Right. And cats got all sorts of that shit going on. Right. Yes. And like, don't cats freak out at the same thing, like a, a cucumber or something? They'll be like, ah! yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I've Man, seen... snakes have really fucked the minds of like everything. Snakes were really dangerous predators for mammals. Yeah, up until British colonization, basically. <laughs> I mean, because they butt fucked them in India. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe still a little bit. Other of these sort of naughty behaviors might reflect anxieties of cats. Okay. Yeah. Which is to say, when they're in environments that go against some of their natural instincts. Oh, right? that's interesting. So, for example, one thing you pointed out is like, hey, sometimes cats, they'll have a litter box set up somewhere for months and months and months, and then they'll decide, you know what? Starting today, I'm going to take a shit. Somewhere else in the house. Maybe they're marking territory. It could be marking territory, or it could also be in natural habitats that cats don't like to use one location for all of their waste for too long. At a certain point, you start to have parasites show up in that spot. Mm. And so cats, probably using odor cues that we can't detect, will decide at a certain point that one spot's overused and they need to go to a different spot. That's fucked up. Okay. I mean, it makes sense, though. Yeah, so that's like kind of a natural instinct thing that still seems really arbitrary to us, but we are not getting all the sensory information that they are. And this is about to come up, but cats are kind of psychologically interesting. They have an actual life of the mind, and they're hunters by nature. They get bored. Yeah, cats can get bored very easily, and their hunter instinct was never really bred out because it was one of the main points of having them for 8,900 years, right? It was so that they could hunt shit for us. So we've always wanted them to be hunters, and at this point it's kind of it's overkill because usually we're not using cats for that. And so that can mean that they can get anxious a lot, par- partially because of boredom. But, you know, it's interesting, this anxiety point, a lot of times in animals when we want to see anxiety, including in humans, we'll look at cortisol levels. Cortisol is a stress hormone. Cats, their cortisol levels don't seem to change very much. So, like, they're not good at being, like, consistently stressed out or being able to, like, detect it. Right. How cats are are, like, how a lot of guys who join ISIS or neo-Nazis are, which is that, like, they self-conceptualize as, like, in any other time in history, I'd be a hoplite. I'd be a warrior. But now modern civilization has put me in a box! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a... There's a subreddit for that. It's called Le Wrong Generation. Oh, my God. And the subreddit is making fun of people. Right, right, right. those beliefs. Right. Yeah, and I would say cats are basically in that rut in that they are consistently in the wrong generation. Stephen Miller puts, like, a Corinthian helmet on and puts on little cat marks, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, meow, meow. Yeah. <laughs> like, hit a little Hispanic mice. Meow. Yeah. Yeah. You are Sparta. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's, like, kicking dolls over <laughs> into holes that he yeah. digs in the backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. So, yeah, so that, I, I think that a lot of the naughty behavior of cats can be explained. And their cortisol levels? Well, no, just away from the idea that they're intrinsically assholes right like i don't think that your cat hates you and that's right. why they're doing these okay things. so i'm but i mean if a cat doesn't hate you can a cat love you yeah so that's i think an interesting question for a long time i think actually people that were not owning cats would have said no right like that cats can view you as like maybe they understand food that providers. Yeah, food comes from you, right. right? But that the cats don't have any particular kind of feelings towards you, unlike dogs, which clearly, clearly, clearly love people. Right? Yeah, a little too much sometimes. Yeah. But as it turns out, some people, some scientists decided to really hunker down and do the pain in the ass work to study cats. And some fucked up scientists. Yeah. I don't want to meet those scientists. Uh, you know they, what I'm saying? They had a really hard time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, once they eventually got some data out of these cats, what they found is that cats are actually capable of desiring human attention. Right. We characterize dogs as being more social, but cats also actually have complex interactions with humans. Right. And cats are still antisocial in that they still have that legacy of being solitary beings. Well, but I mean, like, you're an antisocial solitary person and you can still lie your way through, you know, yes. lab and human life. Yes, I can also <laughs> fake emotions. Right, you're like, um, <laughs> you're a cat. <laughs> the, I'm not quite a dog, I'm a badger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do uh, have all the traits of a badger. We should rename this pod Badger and Cat. <laughs> I'm uh, Sean Cat and I'm Nate Badger. <laughs> So cats can recognize humans, but they don't have a super great memory. So 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 that's the thing. <laughs> they like take off the fur, and it just says like he killed your wife. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dogs can sort of have these odor-based memories, oh, so that they can kind wow. of remember 
their Your owner's smell. scent for decades. Wow, okay. Cats, I don't think, have had very much incentive to store human like faces for very long. Wow. But they can recognize, they can distinguish different people from each other. Okay. And cats can follow human pointing and gaze. Like, they can recognize that those kinds of actions are potentially alerting them to another object. Oh my god, this study must have sucked so bad. You're yes. like, just keep pointing and the cat doesn't go. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, is it dumb or does it hate me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But see, that's the thing is that a lot of animals do not recognize the human gesture of pointing right. as directing your attention to something. Right? Sure, we have a leopard gecko. I keep pointing to the toilet. I'm like, go <laughs> poop. <Yeah. laughs> I'm just like, yawns. Make! <laughs> Make in the toilet! Yeah. So... Cats are able to recognize a complex human behavior like that. And they can have social interactions with humans. You know, our friends Matt and Kelly, they have a cat. And, like, this cat likes them, and it runs for me. Yeah. So it's clearly successfully recognized a threat. And cats can take cues from human emotions. So, for example, if a cat is in their territory uh, with their human, and then a new object enters in. With with a gun. (laughs) (laughs) And a cat trap. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Then the cat can often be seen looking to their human's face to try to read. Is this a danger or is this an okay person? And so, for example, one way to get a cat to like, for example, a fan that you've put into your room because it's hot or something is to go up to the fan and speak soothingly to the fan. (laughs) So, So if you love your fan, your cat will recognize that. You also like the fan, and a friend of my friend is apparently not an asshole. That's a great cartoon of, like, a guy puts in a fan, and the cat's like, I don't know what to think. And the guy starts talking to the fan lovingly, and the cat's like, okay, the fan's all right. And the guy starts having sex with the fan, and the cat's just watching, and the cat's like, I don't like the fan again. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that speaks to a more complex social interaction. Look at that. Stacey's just looking at hot chicks on Instagram. (laughs) <laughs> she nods silently yeah. affirmative <laughs> very naughty okay so i think one of the ways that cats are definitely like humans is that they love crack cocaine not literally crack cocaine but sure. there's this thing called catnip it's funny because i don't spend a lot of time with cats i had heard the term catnip i did not know that it made them go balls out crazy yeah yeah so catnip's a lot of fun it is a plant yeah and it produces I like it very natural Drugs. Mm-hmm. I don't use synthetic drugs. I only use naturally occurring drugs, no. like LSD. Yeah, <laughs> that is the exact opposite. <laughs> oh, well, it actually occurs in like some labs in Switzerland. <laughs> um, LSD is pure inorganic compounds, making the least amount of sense. Okay, so this plant. I'm on them. <laughs> it looks sort of like mint, and it produces this compound called uh, nepetalactone, mm. and it's a terpenoid which you might remember from our cannabinoid episode. Cannabinoid. Yeah. Okay. And the petalactone is actually a pretty effective mosquito and fly repellent. Okay, cool. Which is probably why it was produced by the plant. Right. Is sort of as an anti-insect defense. And it just like gets straight up in the nose of the cat and makes it go apeshit. Yes. So uh, cats have these olfactory receptors. We'll get into this a little bit later, but they're technically slightly different from your regular olfactory receptors. Regular olfactory receptors run into your primary olfactory bulb and then go into your brain for like all sorts of processing. The fuck is a bulb? <laughs> I have a bulb in my brain? Yes. A bulbasaur? <laughs> so <laughs> you, you have like your lump of the brain? Yeah. Right? There's a little like a little nubbin bulb thing where all of your nose information goes to. It's funny because you said lump of a brain yeah. and like... Yeah, that's a fair word to use. It's just we don't use it usually. Yeah. So it's weird to like, it's yeah. like a lump. It's abnormal, right? I mean, have you ever held a brain? No, Sean. <laughs> what are you doing? Sometimes I hold brains. Is it go, uh, does it go well, Chianti? <laughs> no, it's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> brains are surprisingly squishy. If you just drop a brain on a table or something, it's going to make a lump. My brain is disturbingly hard. Ew. There's no squish to it. It's I don't like, like that either. It's like calcified. Oh, no. Yeah, my brain is a giant callus attached to my spine. That's really bad. Um, (laughs) All right. (laughs) You are unhealthy. But the point is that the cats have these specific kinds of receptors in their nose that instead of going and sort of getting processed in your brain, sort of the normal path, it goes straight into their amygdala and then their hypothalamus. Wow. So it goes straight into the emotion center. Wow. And when this little molecule hits those receptors, cats usually become euphoric for about 5 to 15 minutes. Cool. Before their noses sort of burn out, and then they have this refractory period after orgasming for like 30 minutes. And then they can get juiced up again. That sounds like 
every rave I went to at Reed College. <laughs> I thought they were humans. It turns out they were like cats, cat style people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they're all sniffing. <laughs> they're like, eh! sniffing catnip. <laughs> yeah, it's um, drooling. Yeah, so they'll kind of drool, they'll roll around, they'll meow a lot, they'll be very vocal. They'll do goofy <laughs> shit, some of which is typically indicative of sexual arousal. Yeah. Yeah. And so- then they can't jizz. Well, it's just it's just after they blow their load for five to fifteen minutes, then they have a refractory period. They can't do it again for thirty minutes. Ah, I mean that sounds like me too. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it, it seems kind of sexual. Catnip doesn't really work on kittens until they're closer to sexual maturity, which is another That's indication. That's very interesting. That likely as it's going through the amygdala and the hypothalamus, that this hits the pituitary gland, and then you have ah, a release of sex hormones. Cool. So it actually is actually probably a hormonal response. Interesting. About 30% of cats can't orgasm. I mean, catnip. During catnip, okay. okay, okay. (laughs) Catnip doesn't do anything to them. Interesting. And it's it's a genetic thing. But out of these cats, and cats in general, there are catnip alternatives. Other plants that can get cats going. And they'll make compounds similar to this nepetalactone. And silvervine is actually the one with the best and widest response. More so than catnip. Oh, that's interesting. So actually, it set off cats... To a greater degree and more than the 70% of cats that respond to catnip. So I'm not really, like, used to cats. Do people buy catnip on purpose? Yeah. Why? Why would you want your cat to get all fucked up like that? Because it's fun for them. Oh, they like it? Oh, they like it. I was confused by this. No, catnip's a lot of fun for them. I almost thought it was, like, a deterrent. No, you're like, you're no, being no, no. bad. You throw catnip no, no. on them. They're like, ah! Cats like it, and uh, it doesn't seem to have... A negative Deleterious effect, yeah. Like crack cocaine for humans. <laughs> Just a good time, kids. Get it at your local corner store oh, today. fuck me. Uh, what was I about to say, though? Um, we should invent, like, a mythic universe, a la, like, The Witcher or whatever, where there's, like, a very evil species of cat people, but, like, you throw catnip on them, and they just go, like, <laughs> Like, literally, we should invent a whole universe just so we could have that joke in there at some point. Okay, cats landing from heights. This is the last kind of thing we're going to talk about for biology, but it's pretty interesting, and I also kind of only knew this in passing. You could, like, throw a cat from the Empire State Building, and it'll die. (laughs) But you could throw a cat from the sixth story of a building, and it might survive. Yes, so this this is not bullshit. Cats kind of fall like little parachutists, and they'll actually kind of achieve terminal velocity that doesn't quite match up with their actual mass and that they'll kind of spread out. Right. As If you jam R as they're falling, they'll actually make <laughs> wings and then have ultrasonic powers. <laughs> it's their League of Legends ult. Okay, gotcha. Jesus. It's <laughs> a lot of games this episode. And so this is actually not the instinct of many other animals. Right. Many other animals just simply panic while falling. And so they don't do any kind of really well-adapted behavior. Right, monkeys are like... Ah! Fuck! Yeah. Fuck! <laughs> cats can still fracture bones, so like nobody's sure. saying like, "Hey, for fun, toss some cats out some windows." Right? right. They're not invulnerable. But we're not um, a medical podcast. Yeah, <laughs> and, and not for cats either. <laughs> um, they aren't impervious to falling, but they have fallen from buildings. And in fact, a lot of times they'll kind of jump off balconies in buildings. Usually, when they're within the first year of their life, because they're stupider. When they're like trying to chase after a bird or something, right? Like a bird will be sitting there on the balcony and a cat will like get ready to jump at yeah. it. The bird will fly away and the cat will fly off the balcony and just like fall. Oh no. Um, Stacy doesn't like that. And I love it. Is that this shit happens a lot, right. apparently. Sure. And they can survive falls from six stories up and sometimes higher, even. I, hmm. And one of the contributing factors to this, besides their sort of little parachuting situation, is also that they can twist themselves around to orient themselves so that their feet wow. are down. Okay. So a lot of animals do not have this instinct at all. Huh. It doesn't occur to them that falling and hitting their back on the ground would be worse. Is way worse. So cats almost always do this. Okay, so then why can't cats just get off the tree? Like, there's right, so right, many right. cats that yes. need to be rescued. Yes, oh, Stacey, <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up. And and this is great. This is great. Uh, I didn't put this in the notes, but I did research it. One of the reasons why cats have a harder time, or why you see so many cats stuck in trees, is that the way that their claws are shaped make it so that it's sort of like, once it goes into something, they can get a lot of good pull back. And so they're very good at climbing up stuff, but climbing down, because of the way their claws are shaped, it's hard for them to climb down without it slipping out. Sure. So, so they instinctively hate climbing down things. And so they'll climb up a tree to get something, or because it seems cool and it's nice and easy, but then once they're up there, they'll get nervous 
because they're not as good. They'll slip right. while they're trying to climb down. And also, why don't they just jump off? Is kind of like, why doesn't America just nuke Iran? It's like, we technically could, but you're still going to fracture some bones. Well, so an- another thing I'll say is that if you leave a cat in a tree for long enough, they will jump down. Right. They'll eventually try climbing down, fail, fall a little bit, and then be like, fuck it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'm still alive anyway, right? Yeah. And so cats will actually naturally do this. It's just... Humans the, freak out earlier than Right, that. right. Humans will be like, oh my god, it's a cat in a tree, and then want to do something about it. And then you call the sexy fireman over, and he's like, wait, where's the cat? But he's in the house now, and the door's locked, and there's nothing he can do. Yeah, but it's okay, because the fireman just does pull-ups on the tree, shirtless, oh, yeah. and it's, it's hot. And he just breaks the whole branch. It's so <laughs> <Yeah>. strong. <laughs> Firemen are sexy. Uh, Billy at the Manhattan Beach branch, call me back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this actual motion that cats can do to turn themselves, to orient themselves while falling, this kind of back torque kind of thing to like get their legs around, uh, is modeled in a lot of physics equations. This is like a big physics question for a How do you time. do it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if we figure it out, we could finally complete the standard model. <laughs> the cats are the missing particle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They found the Higgs yeah, boson. Yeah, cats go through most matter, so it's hard to capture, but we have these drills in ice <laughs> on the poles that right. finally got the cat Nino. <laughs> when they finally found the Higgs boson, it was just a cat head. <laughs> yeah, just, oh my god, dude. <laughs> the Swiss just like, oh my god. <laughs> So yeah, so that that was some cat biology facts. Uh, So let's take a break. And then when we get back, we're going to get into the section that Nathan very explicitly wanted. Cats are killing us all! (laughs) So we'll get into that after the break. My name is Tyler Jerry, and I'm here with a limited time offer, 50% off massages with Sean David Allen. Now I know if you're like me, you've had hundreds of hours of pure raw pleasure from Sean's hands, and you wish it was something more. You've started to fall in love. You wish that he was a sex worker, which he is not. I've been told several times, Sean Allen will not be paid for sex. But just do what I do. Imagine, as his hands dig into your back, you're on a cruise, you're down the Baltic. It's just you and him, and all the strong-armed crewmen. He touches you. It devolves into a pensionesque revelry of erotic pleasure. It's a Hieronymus Bosch. It's limbs everywhere. His fingers are digging in and you just feel it. You imagine it. You're so close. You're just... Uh, 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 and then you're hard in a massage parlor. But don't worry. It happens to Sean every session. So, gentlemen, sign up for our Patreon. Meet Sean and massage your imagination. Okay, guys, welcome back to Petri Dish. In case you've forgotten, uh, we're talking about cats. And now we're going to talk about cats in kind of a different paradigm. We're going to talk about cats in the ways that how they relate to different ecologies and environments as an invasive species brought by humans. And then we're going to talk about cats as a vector for disease. These are both interesting subjects. The environmental subject is better researched and studied and more definitive. The toxicology, the pathology part, is a little bit murkier, but really interesting. It's had a lot of media and press and stuff like that. So let's talk about cats as they are deleterious to human civilization. Sure, yeah, or at least or other world things. ecosystems. Not non-human, actually. Right, yeah, so cats are obligate carnivores. Yeah, they're contractually obligated yeah. Before birth by God to, to kill things. To not do any of that veggie shit. They, they, they can't they, do vegetables. They only eat... Uh, Meat. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Thank you. <laughs> uh, compared to dogs, cats have better eyesight and night vision. They have lower amylase activity, and that's one of the reasons why they can't really do veggies. They don't digest starch very well. I met a girl who was... My name is Amylase. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm married! <laughs> cats have better fatty acid digestion, and they have... Fewer olfactory receptors than dogs, but more vomeronasal receptors. That was what I was kind of talking about earlier. Olfactory receptors are like what we have also, right? It's just sensing these kind of small odorant molecules and being able to kind of distinguish them from each other. Vomeronasal receptors are the ones that basically skip the main smell pathway in your brain and go straight to emotions. Oh, so like a cat, it gets some prey and it's just like rock hard. Well, so a lot of times the vomeronasal receptors that the cats have are primarily for pheromones. Oh. And probably also catnip. 
<laughs> um, they still have olfactory receptors. I'm, I'm saying they have less than, fewer than dogs. Okay. Dogs are extremely good at smelling things. Yeah, but cats still smell better than us, right? Yes, they do. Yeah. Yes, they do. So they still have more olfactory receptors than we do. So a cat can just like, it's like two miles away. It's like, there is a wounded koala smell somewhere in this burnt <laughs> yeah. forest. Yeah. And it's going to find it. It doesn't matter how many birds it has to kill on the way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so. In fact, it's like more the merrier. Yeah, exactly. So cats have very good hearing. They can detect the ultrasonic kind of calls from their prey. That's fucked up. That, like, we can't really hear. So, for example, mice and rats actually have squeaks that we can't hear, but they have a lot of squeaks that are ultrasonic that we can't. So cats are pretty well evolved to kill certain things. Yes, they are. Right. That is what I'm driving at, is they are very well evolved killers. Yeah. I mean, Um, felines are in some places apex predators. Oh, yeah. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, Lion King. Remember that song, Circle of Life, and at the end of the song, they just, like, slaughter the zebra that are in the crowd? (laughs) Yeah, I remember that live-action movie. (laughs) They should have done Lion King the way they did Cats. Like, everyone would have loved The Lion King, even though it's a remake, if it was Donald Glover and Beyonce just, like, running around in their live cat suits. (laughs) Be like, I can't wait to be king! (laughs) That would have been fucking awesome. God, that's fucked up. Okay, so, they're, they're really good killers. But what's good is that because they didn't do it, that means in 10 years, if we're more successful, we can make that. Right. So people, when you sign up for our Patreon, what you are eventually funding is a Lion King remake. Know in your heart. A la cats. That is what we're going towards. All right. So cats are really good killers. And that is how they kill over 3 billion birds a year in the United States. Whoa. And think about that. There's a billion people in China and even more birds. (laughs) Think of all the birds that are dying in China. Not even just from coronavirus, but from cats. Yes, and they're essentially an invasive species outside of Eurasia. You know, I bet China has less birds, actually. I bet there's an inverse relationship of people to birds. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's all sorts of space in America where people have decided not to live, like Death Valley. Or like or like the prairie, right? Like Wyoming probably has all sorts of bird sanctuaries or something just by virtue of being empty prairie yeah. and like rivers and stuff. Yeah. Whereas in China, it's like, there's a lot of people everywhere. Gotta Chi- eat some bird. China has empty bits. I, I think that's a myth. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually know, so it's good enough to me. I think it does, based on the Three Kingdoms video game. So, they're invasive species. and Invasive to where? Outside of Eurasia, so that means basically any island place. Right. right. And then also all of the Americas. Right. Okay, so, and I think extra emphasis on any island... The Americas is interesting. I didn't, I mean, I guess I should have known that. But then, like, places like New Zealand and Australia, which right. have a lot of biodiversity because they've been separate for so long, and then you bring cats in. Right. So, Hawaii and Australia are really good examples of cats just going in and killing a lot of shit that was living there before. Yeah. And one thing I want to say is that, arguably, most of these deaths of wildlife are from feral cats. Right. House cats are not very good at hunting. I mean, they're better than humans. Right. But they're worse than feral cats because they just practice less. Right. And typically kittens pick up hunting techniques from their moms. And so house cats are relatively shitty at hunting, even if they're outdoor cats. Right. But feral cats, which were domesticated cats, but then kind of got loose and then started breeding out there in the wild. Right. And wild cats. Those are probably the main contributors to like that 3 billion bird number in the U.S. So beyond the abstract, the context of this whole conversation is in Australia, after the bushfires, there'll be wounded animals in the forest and cats go and just ass blast them. Uh, Some cats will even just sociopathically kill a bunch of animals, take one bite and be like, ha, and then go kill another animal. Those are primarily feral or wild cats. Right. And that is a good thing to bring up, which is some animals that are predators hunt for food. And And pretty much just for food. But some hunt for fun. Right. Cats are an example of a species that hunt even when they're not hungry or when they've already had their meal. They'll hunt some more and kill some more things. It's like cats, humans, and a surprising number of aquatic animals. (laughs) Like orca whales, (laughs) dolphins, otters. They just like rape and fuck and kill for fun all the time. They're like, it's crazy. The ocean is nuts. Wherever you get that high, baby. And like poor squids and sharks are looking at them being like, man, those are some yeah. fucked up dolphins. Yeah, why are mammals so fucked <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, I guess it's mammals, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's like clearly all mammals, like we sometimes say humans maybe are too smart for their own good. Like we've outpaced evolution and accidentally gained consciousness. We should expand that to basically mammals in general 
and like maybe ravens. It's that hot bloodedness. Yeah, we're too hot blooded. They got that extra energy to run around like killing shit right. even after they're done. Mammals are like the Sonny Corleone of like the <laughs> animal kingdom. He's like, huh! he's like, what did you do to my sister? You know, just too mad all the time. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I've heard some ecologists talk about the modern era as like a mass die-off of species. And, yeah. and I can't remember the term, but they basically call it anthrocentric, right? Like we are in the period of the human-based die-off. And a part of that is climate change and all sorts of things humans directly do and habitat loss. And part of it is the invasive species we introduce to environments. And cats are a big part of that invasive problem. Along with like sometimes wild dogs, but more like rats, certain different types of rodents, that sort of thing. Birds are especially a victim. Yeah, and that's why in like Australia, I think they have cat hunting programs right. to actually go out there and kill wild cats. It's kind of like the final step of our revenge on dinosaurs, if you think about it. Because it's like, because <laughs> yeah. it's like mammals were punk bitches, and they're like, someday we'll get you back. Yeah. And then like the, we are finally killing off the remnants of the dinosaurs, yeah. which are for better or worse birds. Fuck you, birds. But guys, actually, Sean, you do it. Well, so that's kind of on how cats can be an invasive species and disrupt environments, but also internally within themselves, there is another kind of uh, lurking danger within cats. Podcats. <laughs> huh. Podcasts. Yeah, wow, that works better than I thought it was going That to. must already exist. Probably. But is it just cats meowing into mics? Because... <laughs> that actually sounds like it has a certain market. Yeah, it'd be relaxing. Okay, what is this inside of cats? It's Toxoplasma gondii. Right, we're moving from cats as an ecological disaster to cats as perhaps a Manchurian candidate in your own home. A disease vector, yeah. 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 And so Toxoplasma gondii, or T. gondii, is... <laughs> T. gondii? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, we need to make T. Gandhi. Is that like a Gandhi in his rap career? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's Rapa Gandhi. <laughs> so T. Gandhi <laughs> is a single-celled eukaryotic parasite. And cats are definitely, they're the main reservoir for this parasite. If you guys don't know reservoirs, where you keep water. <laughs> but in biology, it's it's the creature that keeps whatever fucking parasite or disease or whatever, right? right. Like, like fleas. Are fleas the reservoir of bubonic plague technically, or are rats technically the reservoir of a, a bubonic plague? Um, let's see. Fleas are the vector, but I think rats and other small mammals are more of the reservoir. Right, because they keep it, and then the fleas transmit it. Right. Interesting. And so why are we bringing up these single cell parasite jabronis in this episode about cats is because they are the definitive host for this parasite. The parasite only completes its full life cycle once it's been inside of a cat. That's cool. Um, but they can survive and infect almost any warm-blooded animal. Interesting. So why is it in cats? Uh, it probably evolved alongside and with cats as just like a very specific cat-type disease. Huh. But... The capabilities that it uses to gain entry into cells and divide and everything is broad enough that it works on birds and pretty much every mammal we've ever tried to study it in. And so they can infect into sea otters and dogs and humans and like you know, fucking eagles and shit, right? And it also seems like insects can be transport hosts. So the insects don't get infected, but they can maybe eat some cat poop. Right. Pick up some of the parasite, fly somewhere else, poop out the parasite kind of hole without yeah. having done anything to it, and then basically just kind of move it around environmentally. Okay. T. Gandhi has a lot of life stages, but basically it'll pop itself into a cell, like one of your cells. It'll form this little cyst, kind of this little bubble that it hangs out inside. Right, where it's protected. And it lets itself divide over and over again. So it's starting to fill up the cyst with a bunch of itself, dividing asexually. So it's just making little clones. And sometimes it'll pop out of the cell. It'll kind of pop the cell open and kind of burst out and go to other cells. And sometimes it'll go into this sort of hibernation mode where it'll just hang out in the cyst, especially if there's pressure from the immune system. So in humans, when you get infected with this guy, you can have a disease called toxoplasmosis. And you'll actually be sick for a little bit. Toxoplasmosis. Yeah. I mean, that. there's a lot of things that can cause that, right? Like, I feel like I've heard that term before. Toxoplasmosis is caused by Toxoplasma gondii only, oh, okay. but it happens more often than you think. Ah, okay, okay. And there's a pretty good number of people who get infected with it, but really, it's only the first time around that you get sick with it. So are these people having sex with cats? Are they eating cat poop? Are they eating cat meat? How do you get it from a cat? Right, so a lot of times it can be from, sure, cat 
poop matter being in places or getting on your hands and then getting transmitted to the food that you're eating. But also you can get it from eating the meat of anything that has the cysts in it. Right. And we talked about how mammals can pick it up. Right. Uh, mm. And so that happens a lot if people are eating meat that is either not properly cooked all the way or was never frozen at some point. Because freezing can also kill the cysts. Okay. Well, that's good. Because I, I eat a lot of rare meat, but I do freeze it first. Right. And then use a sous vide. Yeah. What I will say is that I think the temperature that you're supposed to cook it up to kill the cysts definitively is something like 155 Fahrenheit. Oh, I don't do that. Which is hotter than a lot of people use sous vides for. But I freeze it first. Sure. So I'm safe. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So freezing makes it fine. And I think that probably a lot of people actually get it from that angle rather than like licking cat buttholes. Right. And there's also like, I mean, it's not like this happens super often, right? Because we have like all these cattle... And say what you want about American agricultural practice. There's not like all that many pussycats running around them having sex with the cattle, right? Right. Right. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how many people are infected with this. Oh, but but what, what I do want to say. Maybe it's like a third of America. Uh, <laughs> and then someday the cat overlord will come from Mars and just say like the word like banana. Yeah. <laughs> and then and they're like. It'll, <laughs> all it'll, the trigger, it'll trigger the thing in our brain. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I want to say about the cats is that to be fair, they get infected the first time around. Then they'll be pooping out these little oocytes. Of the parasite. Right. Little for like one to three weeks. And then little Wilbur walks up. He eats it. We eat Wilbur. <laughs> we have it. Yes. Yes. But what I'm saying is that cats can carry the parasite for their lifetime. Okay. But they're only going to be spreading it for about one to three weeks. Okay. At the very start of their infection. That's reasonable. Okay. So before we get too mad at them. But, you know, like I said, fucking sea otters can get this uh, T. Gandhi up in there. And they think it might be one of the reasons why some sea otters are having more heart attacks. Yeah. And getting sluggish and being eaten by sharks and shit. Oh, I'm curious about that. I mean, can once some of these cysts get into runoff, can it just like survive in water for a little bit? Yes. Okay. Yes. So we get runoff. Otters. Otters are kind of gross rapists, though, actually. So I don't think I worry about that too much. I mean, that's probably like a biblical style plague. Like there's probably an otter like in the corner that's like, we must, we must abstain. <laughs> you are sick. And the other is like, fuck that guy. He's weird. But they're dying from heart attacks. So first of all, I should slightly correct myself. There's kind of two forms that you'll find this parasite. It's the cysts in brain, like neurons and muscle cells. Okay. It can and, get in your brain. Yes. And oocytes out of cat poop. Okay. And... The oocytes are very hardy. The cysts are the ones that you can take the meat, put it in the freezer, and then the cysts are going to die. All right? So it's usually the oocytes in cat poop that, you know, kind of go through the sewage situation unchanged, go out into the ocean, probably like an oyster or something or an abalone filter feeds it into its body. Weird. And then a sea otter eats it. And then that's when it gets into the sea otter. Okay. That's pretty cool. So it's like a whole circle of life shit. Yeah. Where the oocyte's just chilling the entire time until it gets into that sea otter. And then the sea otter gets eaten by a shark because it's like sluggish now. Interesting. Okay. And it also affects rodents. And it's interesting because it affects rodents that not only are they less afraid of cat urine, they're sexually attracted to cat stuff and cat smells and shit like that, which actually makes a lot of sense. That's good for cats, right? Yeah, so it is good for cats and for the parasite because it means that once the cat eats the mouse that's infected with that parasite, that cat gets infected. So a cat has a weirdly symbiotic relationship with this parasite. It yeah, actually I mean, helps them get fed. It can. Oh. Um, I think the cat, you know, maybe is like kind of neutral either way, but the parasite's definitely getting the best part of this deal. Right. Here. It's and like Louis Armstrong and his manager. It's, uh... <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> if you know your jazz history, that's that was, a good reference. That was, that was just going to wash straight over me until I actually thought about it. Watch the Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Very long, though. Anyway, and so it seems, like, it seems like this reaction that these rodents have to the cat urine is somehow related a little bit to sort of their uh, sexual patterning because castrated male mice do cats not so respond. sexual. Everything about cats is about sex. Yes, Gross. although this is in the mice that I'm talking about right I know, now. but it's like, that's how sexual cats are, is they make mice more sexual. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, I think all of this speaks to the fact that it seems like Toxoplasma gondii can do shit to your brain. Right. Because it's do it, do it to rodents. Can it do shit to human brains? Right. Okay. So, when T. gondii infects people, 
it can cause toxoplasmosis, okay? Which is kind of a flu-like illness. You have a fever, sore throat. So you might even know you have it. You get a flu. You think right. it's just a flu. Right. That shit is a cat infecting you. Unless you're immunocompromised or a fetus. Right. If you've got, you got AIDS, okay, you stay away from cats. Right. Yes. Like cat litter. Like if you have AIDS, you're supposed to stay away from cats and so are pregnant women. Number one problem for AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not just AIDS. Also, you can have a weakened immune system from chemo. Right. And if you do that, the Toxoplasma gondii can get into your brain and hang out there easier and then can cause seizures. Mm. And if you're a fetus... Yeah, alert to fetuses. Yeah. If you're a fetus and Toxoplasma gondii reaches you via your mom in her first infection... While she's pregnant with you, you can get something called congenital toxoplasmosis. Damn. And it can do things like cause the fetus to be blind when born. <laughs> or it can cause cognitive issues or death. Dude, this cat may be blind. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is this common? It depends it's on the It's clearly not common enough to end humans, right? Like, like, it must be pretty uncommon. Well, so here's the thing, though, is women have to be actively pregnant. <laughs> you can't be too bad. What is passive well, so, Because you can get infected first and then get pregnant later. Oh, okay. Right? That doesn't That won't do, do. Right. You need to already be pregnant. And then during that time period, usually to have the big impact, it's in the first trimester. Okay. That's when you have to get infected with toxoplasma gone. So again, you might not even know because you might suffer a miscarriage. Right. And you won't know that's because of your cat. Right. Right. Whoa. This is so fucking meta, dude, because the cat wants you to not have a baby so it can control your life even more. <laughs> no. This is so fucked up, dude. <laughs> it's not Cats are so fucked no, up. No, no. Okay, but look, the thing about Toxoplasma gondii is, you know, you get infected, you can have toxoplasmosis, right? But your immune system does a pretty good job of clearing out all of the T. gondii that's running around in, like, your bloodstream. Right. Okay? Your immune system does not do jack shit about cysts in your cells. Right. So if the T. Gandhi gets to make cysts, you might have immunity to any kind of outbreak of T. Gandhi running around, but those cysts will remain. Wow. And so when we look to see how many people have antibodies against T. Gandhi, what we find is that it varies really widely based off of geography, socioeconomic status, stuff like how well do they cook their meat? Right. Has the meat ever frozen? Do they worship cats? And what they found is, like, the USA has something like 11% of our population. Okay, because we got some cat people, and we tend to be pretty meticulous about our meat quality, right? Right. South uh, Korea is, like, 3%. They just don't have that many cats. Uh, yeah, probably. Okay. Probably. And Brazil is 75%. Right. Because it's just straight, raw meat and pussy cats all over the favelas. Yes. And Brazil seems to have several strains of T. Gandhi running around. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? And some of those strains are way worse than others in that the congenital toxoplasmosis that they can cause is way more severe or the flu-like symptoms are way more severe. I just so, read a crazy paper about how Zika virus, the cats are the reservoir for that. What? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't read. You're going to fear monger even more after we did all this? Ah, cats! Anyway. Anyway, look, so if you get T. Gandhi as a healthy child or an adult, aside from a little flu situation, you're not going to see that much more of an issue, Jeez. okay, as far as like physically speaking, but they do stick around in these little cysts in your body, inside of your cells. Okay, so you'll you maybe get a fever, it's rough, but not the end of the world, and that's it, cats don't do anything else to people. Well, unless these cysts are controlling your mind. Cysts in the brain. Brain cyst. Great John Carpenter film. Yes. So all of this stuff up until now is actually extremely well established. Okay. okay. We, we understand epidemiologically speaking and biologically speaking what's going on with T. Now we're getting into the crazy shit. It's not quite Epstein level yet, <laughs> but it's around the Freemasons. They exist. Do they control the world? I don't know. That's the kind of place we're at right now. Right. So, in mice, like we said, T. Gandhi in the brain leads to changes in their behavior, potentially through stuff like changes in glutamate signaling, decreased GABA signaling, maybe increased dopamine or dopamine turnover, and decreased serotonin. These are all neurotransmitters. That's important shit, right? Like, yeah. Like drugs. Drugs fuck up those things. Right. Yes. And people with chronic T. Gandhi in the brain seem to be less coordinated and have slower reaction times to things. Right. And real quick, yeah. just to take a step back, while we describe these things, I want you to think of the cat people in your life. 
and, and, and ask yourself, does this describe or not describe them? I think you're going to find something pretty interesting. Oh, my God. <laughs> For context, uh, we had to re-record the start of this episode because Nathan felt it was too mean and that it would kind of turn away cat people. Like the and then most... Nathan, just this entire time... <laughs> like, take the most annoying Bernie bro you know. God damn it. And just make it about cats instead of Clinton? You're like, <laughs> and you're like talking to Nate. You're, you're turning everyone against us. <laughs> All right. There is a, a couple of scientists out there. There's a few scientists. Yeah. That believe that T. Gandhi is responsible for a lot of things wrong with human society. Okay. I like where we're going. So there are some scientists out there that think that car accidents and people driving shittily is because of T. Gandhi. Okay. Because you have slower reactions. Right. Exactly. Right. So they think a lot of deaths in car accidents and a lot of traffic issues and stuff is because of this parasite. You're driving, you're just like, cats, cats, cats. Fucking kill the baby. Exactly. And this group of scientists have been looking out there for correlations between people having infected status and lots of different things. And they feel like they have found statistical correlations with stuff like an increase in Alzheimer's disease, an increase in Parkinson's disease, an increase in schizophrenia, an increase in suicidal ideation, an increase in bipolar disorder, an increase in depression. Okay, so I want to go through that list just real fast. And again, think of the cat people in your life. (laughs) Less coordinated, slower reactions, Alzheimer's, forgetting stuff, Parkinson's, a little jittery. Okay, schizophrenia. Okay, all the other cats in their brain, right? <laughs> <laughs> Suicidal ideation. My cat dies, I'm gonna die too. <laughs> Bipolar disorder. Uh, me. <laughs> I think you know the answer. Okay. T. Gandhi and cats. Are you saying that you're a cat person? Oh God! Wouldn't that be such a great twist to the end of this podcast? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, huh, huh, I'm remembering like all the cats I own now. Yeah. <laughs> I look around, suddenly there's a thousand cats in the yeah. in the recording studio. You like look back, and that sandal's actually a cat. The whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I pick up a knife. And it's like Nathan. What are you doing, meow? All right. So look, look. T. Gandhi has. There've been some studies where it looks like it can cause some epigenetic changes. Maybe. To like an amyloid precursor. When you say maybe, you mean probably, right? (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I mean, there are like a couple of studies. Right. Whenever anything gets linked to so many things, it's important to be skeptical. Yeah. And at the same time, what I will say is that this idea of parasites being able to affect our neural pathways is both deeply disquieting, right? But also... Because our brain is such a kind of complex right. network of it's things. It's kind of the squishy black box of human biology. Right. And it's actually, it's not incredibly hard to imagine that a parasite could do some like relatively small list of changes that would kind of result, snowball into a myriad of different effects in different people. Right. That is hypothetically possible. It's just the data is, it, it's all correlations, and sometimes they're relatively weak. There have been some meta-analyses from skeptical groups. Who are like, said, this is bullshit. Basically, that they have found no connection between, like, T. Gandhi infection and behavioral effects of any kind. Schizophrenia or depression or bipolar disorder. But that's disorder. just because a cat somewhere whispered the ultrasonic, banana. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the cat lobby, you know, paid for the research. I like to compare the human brain to Schrodinger's God, which is like, it's a squishy thing that if you open it up, maybe God's there, maybe God's dead. <laughs> right? And it's really hard to figure out. <laughs> it's the source of all potential metaphysics, but maybe it's just an empty box. Yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> Maybe there's just a cat in there, right? Right. There's a cat be like, snarf! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, think, I think a snarf cat is actually the most... You, you open the brain and there's either God or a cat. And the cats are winning. <laughs> there's a dead body of God. <laughs> okay, Stacy's telling us to wrap it up. It's funny because she has a mic. She could just say to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, that was why she was going to record with us. So I don't know what's going on here. Well, okay. So look, I, I think... Uh, we ended on this note because Nathan really desperately wanted us to end on this note. I wanted the narrative <laughs> to get more depressing over time. I think it's, Sean, I think you're about to take a step back from all that. Let's do that. Well, Look, just to... if I didn't have cat allergies, I would have a cat. So I have cat allergies. Sometimes I think cats are really cute. About Toxo and cats and people who have cats, if you're in the U.S. and your cat is a house cat, 
probably neither one of you are going to get Toxo. Like, <laughs> if you go to Brazil. <laughs> right. If you go to Brazil, you're probably going to get Toxo whether you have a cat or not. <laughs> you know right, I mean? is it just because it's tropical, so diseases just have an easier time in Brazil all the time, always? I, it's a little hard to tell if it's sort of a historical bummer legacy that they accidentally right. got cats that were toxo-infected There's also probably from several different locations. a couple gross socioeconomic things going on, right? Like in terms yeah. of meat quality that we yes. kind of don't want to touch. But no, yeah. I totally agree with you that I think that it's even a thing where like we'll talk about maybe the U.S. or we can talk about China. And with China, they have extremely low rates of toxoplasmosis, like less than 1%. Interesting. But if you look at really localized populations, right. those populations are the only ones with toxo, and then most other people don't have it at all. Right, like the billion people who live in Beijing right. live within a pretty well-regulated system. Right. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is toxo, I think, should not be something to dissuade people from owning a cat if you want to own a cat. You say tomatoes, okay. I say tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Wild or feral cats are an ecological disaster, right. and we should probably try to figure out exterminate s- something to do with that. Yeah, like um, extermination. I, honestly, I'm not sure what else we're supposed to do about it. Yeah, ship them to Mars, but blow up the rocket on the way. <laughs> <laughs> so at least it's fireworks. Jesus Christ, Fa- fireworks! But I think that we are entering a time where some scientists have opened up the ability to do more biological research on cats. Mm. And I think we can expect more and more research and find out that uh, cats are indeed very complex things that are are actually more domesticated than we give them credit for, but definitely not full-blown domesticated the way dogs are. I'm going to, I'm predicting the opposite direction, that we're going to look back at this in 40 years and listen to this podcast as part of a historical document and be like, wow, what a dark age humanity lived. Where cats were acceptable. Uh, and we're going to live in this golden age in 50 years where we've kind of accommodated to climate change. And a big part of that is killing off cats. Who also produce, I don't know if you know this, 30% of all methane. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, you say a lot of words. All right. <laughs> look, everyone, thank you for listening to this episode. We want to mm-hmm. say thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you, Brian Allen, for art. If you are not a cat person because if you were you probably stopped listening you can uh, sign up for our patreon at patreon.com slash petri dish and if you are a cat person i think you should still sign up because this was a fun episode yes and you can tweet cat pictures and gifs at us at dish podcast and i'll make nathan look at some of them two-thirds of our production group will like it <laughs> and i will dislike it which is all the more reason to send us stuff and you can email us at petri dish pod at gmail.com Thank you, guys. Ich bin ein Cats. See you next time. I don't know. I panicked. Ich bin ein Cats.